It's 2022 and it's been 20 years since our property management business, Cottage Link Rental Management, was founded. And in this episode, I'm going to look back over those 20 years and talk about the key things that I've learned over this time. There were lots of things that worked for us. There were things that didn't work for us. And there's a huge amount we could have done or should have done that we didn't do. So I'm going to share my seven key points for anybody that's starting out in this business or is already in this business and wants to make it really, really work. And hopefully it will be helpful to you and sort of cathartic for me as well. It's the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and I'm here today to talk about my reflections of 20 years in this wonderful business of short-term rental as a property manager. I never intended to do this. It was never in my life plan to become a 20-year veteran of the short-term rental industry. You know, back in the 1990s, I was a management training consultant. I had a really nice little company, lived in England, had a hypnotherapy and psychotherapy practice. And then we came out to Canada for a wedding. A lot of you who have listened to this podcast for some time or who know me, you know my origin story, that this all really started from a trip to Ontario back in 1998 and we came to a family wedding. I'm going to keep this very brief because you can find this elsewhere. Uh, yeah, came to a family wedding and my brother, bless him, who was getting married in Ontario, had booked us a cottage on a lake. We'd never experienced anything like this before. So 12 of us, the whole family came across from UK and we arrived to find that it was a water access property. It hadn't been occupied for over six months. It was, it was full of mice. It hadn't been cleaned. The holding tank was full, etc., etc. And we spent a couple of days cleaning it. But, you know, we had the most fabulous vacation ever. And on the last night, I was sitting out on the dock with my sister and we we're having a glass of wine. And I said, do you know, we could do this and we could do it better. And that really was the start of it all. From there, we, I went and bought properties in Ontario and we rented them out. I started a holiday company in England that marketed Ontario waterfront vacations to the, to the Brits and began coming backwards and forwards to source properties, which is where I met my business partner who had founded the first listing site in Canada. Remember, this was back in the last century. So he'd started this at around the time that you know people were getting really getting into, into the web, into the internet. And it was doing really, really well. But he was having issues when owners were coming to him saying, look, I'm listing my property with you, but I want it managed as well. And he was handing them off to other local companies that did management and realised that he was leaving money on the table. So we met up at a, the Cottage Life show one year. Well, in fact, it was 2001. And we met up for an hour meeting and three and a half hours later, we were still talking. And that really was the start of it all. And in 2003, I emigrated or immigrated to Ontario and the rest is history, really. And here we are 20 years on. 
I don't know where that time's gone. Time just disappears so fast, so rapidly, and things change all the time. And I've seen so much over the past 20 years. I've met so many fabulous people in this industry and learned so much from them. So here in this episode, I just wanted to go through some of the key things that I've taken away from this 20 years, the, the, the key things that are driving me forward right now. They drive me forward to create education and learning materials for other people wanting to go into this industry. Because if I can help and support others and ensure they don't make the same mistakes that I did, and for sure, you know, some of the mistakes I made way back in the early 2000s, you know, from 2003 to 2012 or so, no one's going to make those mistakes because things have changed so much in that time. No one's going to go back and and recreate some of the things we did back in that time. But there are some generic things that I would do differently that everybody should be doing now and that we never did. And now looking back, it it's not with regret because for, for many of the things, we did pick up on them over the last couple of years and made some significant changes. But I sometimes think that I could probably have a business that's three or four times the size if I'd adopted some of these strategies. And I hear from property managers throughout the world who have created those some magnificent companies and seem to be doing everything exactly right. So we're going to cover cover off some of these things. I, I could go on on that topic of what we could have done better, but I think probably better just to sit back and, and share these key learnings. And hopefully they'll help you to get your business to the next level. So my number one thing, and this is, I've mentioned this numerous times on previous episodes, is we go into these businesses and we're excited and entrepreneurial. We want to make them work and we do all this fun stuff. We get everything in place. We get the technology. We go out and find the owners and we do the right marketing. And we're always forward thinking, but not forward thinking enough to think about what happens when it all comes to an end. You know, just take a moment. What would happen if something catastrophic happened in your life? No, perhaps don't don't take a moment to think about that. You know, I don't want you thinking about something catastrophic happening. But I want you to think about where you would be if you're if you were not able to run your business tomorrow. What would happen? What would happen to it? Would you have somebody that was able to step in and carry on all those processes? Would you have everything in place if you wanted to suddenly sell the business? So maybe a better way of looking at it is just imagine for a moment that an aggregator or a consolidator came along and said, I'm going to give you this amount of money for your business, but we have to do some due diligence and I need to know a lot of things about your company. And I need to know that you can step away right now and I can run your business and nothing will change. Could that happen? You know, are you integral to your business? So what I'm talking about here is having an exit strategy, having this plan that allows you to support any decision to stop the business, whether that decision comes suddenly or whether that decision comes over a three or six month period. It really doesn't matter. 
you've got to have at least a three-year review in mind so that if that person came along and gave you a great reason to exit your business, you could say, here's what my business has done in the past three years. You don't have to go scrambling around looking for figures, looking for metrics. You don't have to worry that your accounting is accurate because you have kept all those figures or that accounting up to date. So what I'm saying here is that if you've never done this before, if you could not go back over the past three years and produce all this information that a new buyer would want, or if you have nobody in place to do everything that you do, you've got to start planning that now. Because if you're integral to your business, if the business could not function without you in any way, in any way, shape or form, somebody coming in to buy it is going to have to replace you. And that replacement comes with a cost which affects your bottom line on the evaluation, which is called the EBITDA. I'm not going into that. You can you can follow some of my earlier podcasts with uh, Jacoby Olin. I'll put those in the show notes where we talk about this, you know, what to put in place. But this is so important. And if you've never done this, it's time to sit down and say, well, what's going to happen when I want to exit? Are we going to keep it in the family? Would we sell it perhaps to another short-term rental company or an aggregator? Perhaps we'd sell it on the open market. But you have to have at least three years preparation for that and make sure that anybody coming in, even if it's family, Anybody coming in knows that they could run the company from day one if you were not there to help them with the transition. And even if you are there to help them with the transition, it's really important that the skills you currently bring to the table are replicable by somebody else that's already in your company. Then having got that plan in place, make sure you update it every single year. And I say it's three year, a three-year review of your company. If somebody came along, it's 2022 now, if they came along and said, I want to see where you were at, at this point of time in 2019, can you show them that? And each year you update it, you don't drop off the the last, the, the previous year's figures. So if you have a three-year review that goes 2019, 2020 and 2021, at the end of 2021, you'd have done the review and go into 2022 but you still keep those 2019 figures. So as you keep going, your three-year review becomes a four-year review and a five-year review. And it just keeps those figures alive for anybody who wants to look back and see how your business has grown. It's all very well you saying, oh yeah, we've increased 30 or 40% every year. And I, I see this a lot and people saying, you know, my business has just gone through the roof the last couple of years. But do you have those figures to support that claim if anybody suddenly came out the blue and said, I want to buy a business, but I want to see your 2018 and 2019 figures? Not just the accountancy figures, the financial stuff that comes from your year end, but all the metrics. So that brings me to my key learning point number two, and that's always track your metrics and key performance indicators. So what are they, you may ask? You could go back and listen to the episode I did with Marcus Rader just recently from HostAway, where we talked about the importance of tracking metrics and KPIs. 
And this is something that we we just did not do over the years. We didn't do this tracking. I mean, we did some tracking. There's a lot of it comes out of your property management software. You can pull all sorts of reports that tell you, you know, which are your highest performing properties, the income per property, and perhaps how much you spent on marketing and advertising. That would probably come from your accounting software. But are you tracking the return on investment on your marketing and advertising? If you advertise on a third-party website, if you pour money into a, a niche website, how is that working for you? What percentage of your marketing budget is going onto that listing subscription? And how is that paying back on bookings that are taken through that platform? We came to this pretty late and realised that we happily succumbed to some advertising from some of the listing sites, some of the smaller listing sites and said, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Let's put all our properties on there. We paid a hefty subscription and then never really tracked it to see if, did we actually get any bookings out of there? I mean, now we're doing it, but it's something that I think could have saved us a lot of money over the years if we tracked that from the very outset. And I know that I'm speaking to people who are doing this all the time and are probably shaking their heads and thinking, well, yeah, you know, of course, you've got to track that. But, you know, a lot of people who own, the, own property management companies are entrepreneurs. They, and, and it's the nature of an entrepreneur that you have your head in the clouds. You're up there looking down, you're seeing the overview and the big sky picture. Gosh, these, these are all these business speak expressions that I, I really hate. And here I am using them. But we do, you know, we're strategic animals. We have ideas. We want somebody else to put them in practice. We want somebody else to be down in the dirt, digging in the details. So if it's just you managing your business, you maybe haven't got the time or the inclination to get down and, and figure out if that last grand idea you had to support this tiny little listing site, did it actually work? Did it bring you any business? But it was all very bright and shiny at the time. And you really get on with the person who started it and you just haven't tracked it. So here's a couple of things to, to track. Definitely your marketing and advertising costs because they can really, really pile up. And that includes digital marketing. If you're using a company to help you with some digital marketing, as we are, well, you need to track how is that working for you, making sure that marketing company is bringing you monthly figures to show what their work is doing for you. Income per property, of course, that's such an indicator of who your best performers are. In, in our company, we have some owners that only give us five weeks or more a year. But the income from that is very, very high because of the way that we have commission rates set. So that can potentially beat out some of the smaller properties that may give us more time, but they're lower value. So once again, we didn't do this for, a long, for the longest time. Probably it's only in the past four or five years that we've really been tracking the income per property. So at the end of a season we can do a full evaluation and we go through every single property, how it has performed. And the ones right down at the bottom that aren't performing well, perhaps we've, we've had complaints from guests and maybe we're not getting on too well with the owners. We're not getting the, the best response from the owners when we speak to them about some of the issues that are raised. We might consider dropping them off 
and saying adieu to those owners. Because for years, we sort of went through, we let these properties just carry on. We dealt with the issues that were raised, you know, let's keep the inventory up without actually calculating the time spent on dealing with with those issues. So once we started doing this annual evaluation, it actually contributed to increased productivity through our team because they weren't they weren't dealing with the things that happened in properties that never should have happened if the property had been kept up in the first place and if we were able to ensure that the owners followed our recommendations, etc. So we dropped them off the bottom. So yeah, it's income per property, but it's also time spent that perhaps you should be tracking as well. Um, average daily rent of obviously you need to study the ADR in a period of a month and a season or a year and compare it to other properties in your location. For years, we uh, we just slapped a price on, seemed a good rate, and then just carried on with it and did a sort of wet finger raise in rates each year. Now we're much more scientific. We do look at statistics and data relating to other properties in the region and what sort of ADR they're commanding. And and now we're looking at more dynamic pricing strategies, which we hadn't done for many years. I haven't actually included that, the, the whole issue of dynamic pricing, that it's something we've never really got into. And this year is, is the year of revenue management for us the next decade, perhaps. So yeah, you want to track that average daily rate and see how that is working over time. Are periods of time left vacant because the price is too high when the demand is low? And I, and I guess it's because we adopted a, it, it's very common in our market to adopt the set it and forget it type of approach. And everybody's done it. Uh, you know, you put one price on at the beginning of the season, that's it, it stays. But it's really interesting if you get into tracking these metrics to see how much more profitable a property is when you're just raising it or lowering the price when when the demand is lower, but actually picking up more bookings along the way. So it's definitely something to be tracking. And if you're not, I don't know why you're not, because everybody should be doing that. Owners, churn and retention rates. You know, how long does a property stay with you? Why do they leave? And we fell down with this as well. We've probably had well over a thousand owners in the past 20 years. And we know what happens when people leave us. But it's wet finger because we've never really annotated each one to say this client left because they sold or this client left because they retired and moved full time into their property, which is often what happens. So I can actually go go back over the majority of those properties and tell you because it's in my head. But that's absolutely no use, that being in my head, if something happened to me, and you know, going back to that first part and an exit strategy, if something happened to me, the stuff that's in my head stays in my head. And a lot of what's in my head is the, um, is the churn and retention data. So that's really important. You know, when did, a, when did you take a property on? When did, when did it leave the programme? Why did it leave the programme? And of course, coming back to the beginning, how did they find you in the first place? So making sure that you track the owners of properties and the properties themselves and the, the historical data that comes with that. Revenue growth over time. This is something that we have done throughout the 20 years. Always looking at how we're performing in relation to previous years. And the last couple of years, of course, have been super interesting to look at because we, along with many other 
uh, property management companies uh, did really, really well in 2020 and 2021, uh, even with extensive shutdowns. But we have that recorded. So make sure, sh- and, and this is definitely stuff that comes from your property management software reports. That's just a few. Um, I would head on over and listen to, if you're interested in KPIs and more KPIs, head on over to look at that episode with Marcus Rader. I've, I'll also put a link to the blog post that inspired that episode where he wrote about KPIs. And there's a lot more in there in that blog post. Number three is about hiring, is about hiring your staff. Now, I've talked about hiring somebody that will do all the things that you do as as an owner. I think we actually did this really right over the years. We did hire strategically. We hired, you know, the first person we hired way back in 2007, and she's still with us, was a bookkeeper because neither my business partner nor I knew anything about. My business partner probably better at, at the financing side of it because he is more detailed. So he does think about these things, but show me a number and it dances around on a page. So I, I still hate the annual visit to the accountant and to go through the financial statements because year after year, I've tried to make sense of them and I still can't. And if anybody's out there who can give me a crash course in understanding accounting in layman's terms, get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you. But yes, we, so we, we hired a bookkeeper and she became an office manager and she has complete control over our property management software. She knows it inside and out. She was there from day one when we bought into it and she will teach anybody how to use it. So amazing lady. So the point is here, hire to your weaknesses at the outset. Don't try and clone yourself because you will end up having somebody who hates doing the stuff that you hate to do. And that's not the purpose of bringing people into the company. You want to bring somebody in that will do the things that you're not particularly good at. That's how we started. We hired for marketing the next. I love to do the marketing, but I shouldn't do marketing when I'm trying to spend time on strategic objectives. So me spending time learning Canva, which I love, and creating lead magnets, which I love, I had to pass that on to somebody else. So we hired for marketing this uh, for, for our second hire. And then, then, of course, reservationists, because everybody that has come into our company does that basic stuff. They do reservations, they do the bookings, and they were all managing issues as they arose in properties. And this was something that five years ago, we decided that we needed somebody to manage these issues. So we wanted somebody with excellent customer service skills. But we had a second string to it. We wanted this person to have other general skills that would enable her at some point in the future, whenever that was, to take over as general manager and do everything that my business partner and I did, except perhaps the the overarching strategic tasks, except perhaps the overarching strategic planning. So we hired the most amazing person who is great with owners, great with guests. She supervises our staff and pretty much does everything that I do now. So I'm able to step step back and have ideas, which is something my business partner hates. He's, he's already or, always said that he the four words he hates from me is when I say, I've got an idea. And then he spends all the time he has telling me why this idea probably won't fly. But anyway, I now have super amounts of time to have ideas to be shot down occasionally. 
quite rightly. So that was, you know, it's a key part of an exit strategy, in fact, is is hiring a general manager. And I could talk a lot more about this. And in fact, this whole episode was meant to be about general managers. And I'm going to be talking to some more general managers in the future, because anybody that is starting out in this business needs to think ahead to that person who is going to be, who is going to come along and do all those tasks that you currently do when you want to be managing strategically. So they're great operationally. And there's a lot of skills that are required for that. And I've talked to Sue Jones from HR for VR on a number of occasions about this. You'll find in the VRM Intel magazine, the winter edition that's that's coming up short, or is it spring edition? That will be out um, in the next month or so, that there is an article by Steve Trover on general managers and, you know, pretty much are they born or made? How do you know if you're hiring the right person? And I saw a post on a Facebook group recently by somebody who'd founded their own company. And they were at that point where they said, I can't even take a holiday. I cannot be away from my business because even though they had housekeeping staff in place and people to Uh, do the changeovers and maintenance, they were still operationally managing on a day-to-day basis. And their question was, you know, how do I make that leap to hiring somebody, which which doesn't come cheaply, hiring somebody that can do all the things that I do that I don't want to do and allowing me to have some free time and be the entrepreneur and business owner that I've always wanted to be. You know, you you come into these businesses wanting to create something that will give you time to enjoy your life. And then you find that you're so totally focused within the business that you have no time. So I will be talking to some of these uh, general managers. And uh, of course, uh, if you listen to last week's episode where I talked to Nick Halverson and Abigail Vargas of OSA Property Management, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, Nick couldn't start his company really because he didn't have some of those skills. And then Abigail came along and became his general manager and the rest is history on that one. So once again, you know, always think ahead three to five years. Where are you going to be in three to five years? And hire strategically to meet any gaps that there might be. The other thing that we've done is we've made our staff into champions of all our systems and processes. So, you know, here's an example. Caitlin, who's our marketing manager, she is the champion of Active Campaign. She knows Active Campaign, which is our CRM. Uh, inside and out. And she goes to uh, to all the AC webinars and trainings, and then she passes it on to another member of our team. So she always has a second person who perhaps doesn't have the level of knowledge that she has in that software, but they have enough to manage it should anything happen to Caitlin or if anything takes her out or if she goes on holiday. So, and I, as I mentioned, Sandra, she she knows our property management system inside and out, and she has. Uh, so she's the she's the champion of that. But she has the second person. You know, Sandra does all the bookkeeping, but there is another person who's able to do the owner payment run every week when Sandra's on holiday. Which is, you know, can be these things can be quite complicated. So 
I think the secret here is to, you know, once you begin to grow your staff is make sure that no one person knows everything and that they haven't passed it on. We have a a staff member who understands TouchDay and we use TouchDay, the TouchDay platform for a whole range of guidebooks. So that is shared with one, one champion and then a second. So this has really worked for us. Don't allow one person to have sole knowledge so that if they go on holiday or if they go sick for an extended time, you are stuck. Always have that rolling knowledge. And we use things like Loom videos and Google Drive and anything that's available to us for the champions to create training materials for everybody else. So that's that on hiring. Really, really important. Number four is develop and update update the emergency plan every year. Ours has been a bit loose. We, We just haven't spent a huge amount of time on it, but we talked about it a lot. You know, what happens if, and your emergency plan includes things like what happens if somebody calls you and and there's bed bugs? Do you have a plan in place to make sure that a process kicks in the moment you get that call? We do, because we've had the call. So we know exactly, everybody can go to the plan. They know exactly what to do if we ever got the call and it's a guest saying there's bed bugs and there is a process, you know, you, you get them to send the picture. You have a pest controller who uh, will get that picture, will identify it. If it is a bed bug, there is a system in place into how we deal with that. So super important to have that emergency plan. So your emergency plan can cover so much, you know, it depends on your region. We have an emergency, if, if you're in a hurricane area, of course, you've got an emergency plan, I'm sure, that covers what happens in the event of a hurricane. It's a really fun task to sit down every year and update the emergency plan and go through, you know, brainstorm all the craziest things that could possibly happen. And, you know, over 20 years, we've had some crazy things happen. Last year, we had a raccoon that was electrocuted because it had eaten through an exterior cable. So the guest called and said, I've got this half dead raccoon on the deck. I don't know what to do with it. We had a plan in place. We don't have it written down. You know, what happens if a raccoon gets electrocuted on a deck? It's what, you know, it's a wildlife pest infestation plan. What happens, you know, a little bit similar to the, the bed bug one, but we, we had in the past a goose, a goose died on somebody's lawn and the, the guests were completely freaked out until this goose could be removed, but it was quite a rural property and we had no one to remove it. So we put our sort of wildlife process in place at that time. And that, in fact, doing that had us create the database of local wildlife control, pest management, people we had on board that we were able to call out at a moment's notice and they would deal with it because we'd pre... Well, let's say we'd, we'd created a relationship with them long before we had to call them out on an emergency so they knew who we were. So oddly enough, we've had a pandemic plan for about 10 years. In fact, it's longer than that. It's since SARS hit Toronto. And I, I can't remember when that was, but it, that was a long time ago. And and we at that time, we had um, owners who wanted to go and spend time in their cottage. They wanted to get out of the city because SARS was in the city. They wanted to get out. And they were calling us and saying, you know, get those people out of my place because I want to go 
to my property. And alternatively, guests in properties who didn't want to leave because they didn't want to go back to the city. So we had to create a plan for that at that time. And we retained that in place. And of course, when the pandemic came, it was in our slowest time of year. So that was super helpful. But in future emergency planning exercises, we're going to talk about what would have happened if the pandemic had blown up in the middle of summer when we had every property occupied. What would we have done then? So this is why it needs, you know, your emergency plan needs to be updated every single year. I've got episodes I've done on emergency planning because I, I, I love this. I, it's just something I enjoy doing. And uh, I'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. So number five is keep up to date with technology. When I first started out in this business, there wasn't much in the way of technology available. There were some property management software. It was, there was sort of enterprise technology that was available for the large, the large companies, but there was nothing, nothing at the scale to the technology that we have available to us today. And, you know, from technology to, from home automation to keyless entry systems, to texting platforms, to platforms like StayFi, where you can collect email addresses from guests who are logging into the Wi-Fi at a property. There, there, is, just, there is just so much. And, uh, but it is important to keep up to date with it, to maybe set aside time every six months or you know a year, I guess, to go through what is available and what is effective. Now, I've always been victim to bright, shiny object syndrome. And being an early adopter of anything, you know, something that comes out, it's like, oh God, yes, I've got to have this, got to have this. And then find, you know, actually it doesn't fit the business model. It doesn't really work in the way I'd expected it to. And it was perhaps an expense that was uh, unnecessary or wasted even. So really important, keep up to date with technology, but do just such a lot of research. And this is something that you could perhaps just put away for the quieter times of the year, which is usually when things like the VRMA conference come around in uh, October. For most people, that's, that's a little bit of a quieter time. Go to the conference. I'm going to talk about conferences in a second. Go to the conference, go visit all the booths, speak to the people, make lists of the things that you think might be useful to your company and then come home and then do the evaluation process and see, you know, is this really going to work for me? So let, let's you know, look at an area like revenue management. I mean, years ago, you might find one or two companies at, at the at VRMA talking about dynamic pricing and revenue management. Now there's an entire conference and it has been uh, for, for years that, uh, you know, Amy Highnote developed the uh, Data and Revenue Management Conference, which is hugely successful. And, you know, certainly, you know, that's one to attend as well, because it's very much focused to that particular process and system in your business. Keep up to date with it. Talk to other people who are using these things. Don't just jump in to the next bright, shiny object that comes along, because that's what I did. And I think we wasted a lot of money and a lot of time on those. And, you know, certainly looking at property management systems, these change all the time. There's new entrants into the market and sometimes they have longevity. Sometimes they don't and they just disappear over time. 
But there are tools out there to help you. Um, Vacation Rental Marketing, or VRMB, run by Matt Landau and uh, Terry White, who I've spoken to on the show, the Vacation Rental Marketing, uh, the Vacation Rental Software Guy. They do what they call the Keystone Awards each year, and that looks at all the property management software and uh, evaluates it for you. So I'll put a link into that as well. You should go take a look at that if you're thinking about property management software. Don't just go by, you know, somebody on a Facebook group when you say, oh, I'm thinking about upgrading my software and somebody comes along and says, hey, mine's the best. You know, I've created this software and it's the best one ever. They will all tell you that. They will all tell you that. Go go back to um, the episode I did with Terry White and uh, and you can learn a bit more about that. He is completely impartial. He just looks at each one of the platforms and evaluates it uh, across a number of criteria. And it's scientifically based. And from what I hear from people who have followed Terry's advice, it works. Okay, keep up to date with tech. Carve out time every quarter to see what's new and then go and speak to the providers at the conferences. So talk about conferences, networking. Networking is such a huge part of this business. When I started out back in 2002, there was no networking to be had. I mean, I guess VRMA was was out there, but I was a little Canadian company and didn't actually hear about Vacation Rental Managers Association for quite a few years. And nobody was willing to share anything at that time. The other property managers, the other rental managers in our area were very close and tight with themselves. They, they didn't want to share their secrets with anybody else. But of course, now there's nothing secret about this business. Everything is out there doing the same thing, using the same software. We're just using it in slightly different ways. And we now up in Ontario have the Ontario Cottage Rental Managers Association, OCRMA. We meet every month. We we have a bit of a bitching session about, about you know, things that impact all of us, whether it's municipalities or townships or or maybe common owners or guests, you know, and, and things that happen. And then we go a lot, go on to, to talk about some serious stuff like regulations and legislation and, and what's impacting us as a whole. And it's been tremendously useful to have that networking. So join associations. If there's one in your area, join it, get involved locally, join your tourist association, join your local chamber of commerce. If there is an action group on legislation that's coming up in your area, join it, become an activist in the short-term rental business. And that networking will lead you places that perhaps you had never thought of before. I didn't do this for a long, long time, but we now are out there. Our association members are becoming a voice in their different communities. They're getting on the boards of the tourism associations, etc. And of course, go to the conferences, go to the seminars, go to the workshops, go meet people, do some learning. Don't just sit back and say, ain't nobody got time for that because you got to carve out time to do the networking and to do the learning. I certainly learned that over the years and you will normally see me at a half dozen conferences every year, whether it's speaking or just attending and just talking to people, just learning, learning, learning. It's, it's, this is such a great business to be in. (laughs) Okay. So I'm now down to number seven, the last one. This is something that I have really learned and it's, it's get known for something, be your brand. 
So I've done this over the years by the podcast. You know, I have owners who come to our company because they've listened to the podcast. They decided they wanted to go into this business and rent their properties. And then they listened to the podcast and they found out where I was from. And they have come to us and said, you know, we'd like you to come out and evaluate our property and we'd like to be a part of Cottage Link Rental Management. And that, I, I, we do deliver a, a great service, a brilliant service, but they want to come with us because they will, sort of want to be near the source of all the knowledge that they've had over the years of listening to the podcast. So you could start a podcast. You could become known in your community for something else. This could be for advocacy, of course. If you get involved with, you know, as, as just mentioned, joining an advocacy group in your area and become very vocal in that, then people are going to learn about you. They're going to learn about your company. Owners are going to respect you for the time and effort that you're putting in to supporting them in fighting unfair regulations, for example. This is such a great way of being the voice and the face of, of your company. And it you know, it comes back to that entrepreneurialism and about, comes back to the entrepreneurial approach. You have all your staff doing the operational stuff, but you're out there being strategic and getting known. And along the way, you're attracting new business to your company. So I love the idea that every company owner should become known in their area. I mean, don't be shy in coming forward. It really goes along with the previous one about networking because you've got to get out there and be involved. And let's say you run a dog-friendly company. You're pet-friendly and you want to get that out to people. Maybe you support local animal shelters and you become known for that. You go out and do some volunteer work with the animal shelters, get it out on your website that you support them and... You know, that, that's part of your pet-friendly po policy. So it's just, you, you just need to think outside the, the box a little bit in terms of how your you are seen, how you get known for something that appeals to your owners, appeals to your guests, and, and brings in more business. So there we are. There's many more things, you know, that I look back over the 20 years and I think, mm, we could have done better at that. And we could have done that differently. And what, and I often think, what would I do now if I started all over again? What would I put in place that I never had before? And of course, there's a, it would, it would be an entirely different looking business than it was when I started. Well, of course it's going to be after 20 years, but I think what's it, what the 20 years has taught for me is that it is a learning business. We never, ever stop learning about what makes it work, what we could do better, and how we can make the experience better for our guests, better for our owners, and better for our staff. So that's enough from me for this week. Uh, of, of course, still down in Gulf Shores, Alabama, for another month now, as we uh, as we get into into March, I'm seeing the temperature in Ontario is beginning to rise a little bit. Still snowing, of course, but at least it's not um, it's not those perishing temperatures that they had back in February. So getting sort of getting a little bit excited about heading home in April. But for now, I'm just going to go outside and enjoy the sunshine here, and then gloat about it to 
the rest of my staff in a, in a meeting on Tuesday. That's the way I roll, which is really unfair, but you know, it is what it is. So if you, uh, if you like this episode and you've got any questions about it, I'd love to hear from you. If you are a property manager in you know, starting out and you want to avoid some of the mistakes I made, then I'm, I'm more than happy to hear from you and to, you know, to, to listen or to answer any questions you have. Um, and to, to chat about your business and how you can make it a little bit more successful. So let me know. It's heather at uh, vacationrentalformula.com and you can connect to me uh, like that. I may not get back to you same day. Lots going on at the moment and, and I will obviously get back to you as soon as I possibly can. But yeah, ha- have a little patience. You can also join the Facebook group, the Business of Short-Term Rental and Property Management. It's a fantastic group. It's one of the few groups that I've ever been involved in where nobody's nasty to anybody else. You know, we, we just, in the two years it's been going, I think I have caused, I've had cause to have a word with one person about their attitude to somebody else. So in general, it's super friendly, really, really supportive. And there's some great contributions from property managers and owners uh, around the world to that Facebook group. So I'd love you to come along and join that too. And, And I'll see you there. Have a great day. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.